You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Brony-Peters. I've been fortunate enough to have never really suffered much physical pain. I've never even broken a bone. This is lucky given I'm a bit of a hypochondriac and I tend to catastrophize any kind of pain I experience and end up self-diagnosing myself with a myriad of life-threatening illnesses. When I was a kid, my dad used to tell me whenever I hurt myself to conceptualize the pain by isolating it to a tiny spot on my body. If I stub my toe, I'd try and disassociate the feeling with my body and imagine it was just a tiny thing happening all the way in the very tip of my foot. That advice from my dad came in handy when he nearly whippersnipped my face. For anyone who isn't all that familiar with gardening tools, a whippersnipper is basically a super sharp splitting blade. It's used to trim hedges, but if not used carefully, can cause humans some pretty serious harm. So it was the day before the start of year seven camp. I was so excited to be off to high school and I'd gone out to the back garden where dad was whippersnipping away. Unfortunately, he didn't realize I was behind him and turned around, whippersnipper high in the air. I screamed and put my arms up to cover my face, but it was too late. The whippersnipper slashed my forearm It felt as if someone had flicked a thousand rubber bands into my arm all at once. My god, did I have to conceptualize that pain. I conceptualized it on the bus, on the way to camp, on the bus back from camp, and every day at school for weeks after until it healed. I'm not exactly sure if it helped the pain, or maybe it just gave me something else to think about. But for some reason, still, even now, I continue to do it. Today we're featuring the first episode of A Fluorescent Feeling, a three-part series about pain and our bodies, the way we talk about them and live inside them. There are many factors that increase the likelihood of developing chronic pain, including being female, getting older, genetic predispositions, and environmental influences, such as socioeconomic disadvantage. But there's a lot we don't know about chronic pain, and a lot we don't measure. We say we know something like the back of our hand when we know it well, Because to know something is to look at it often. But what about to feel it often? There's something that renders pain unknowable because it's largely invisible, although that kind of negates the knowledge and sensations of the body. How can you articulate something without language? Perhaps through scans and tests. But this only works if those scans pick up what the body is trying to communicate. I think about my pain as a line because I visualise it running through my body as one. But pain can take on many forms. This first episode is all about measuring and recording pain 
You'll hear audio about how we record and communicate our pain to others from author Eula Biss and artist Eugenie Lee. Here are some of the words people have used to describe their pain to me. Cramping. Burning. Sharp. Stabbing. Pressure. Tingling. Bubbles. Pins and needles. White gold. Here's how you're asked to measure your pain at the hospital. Can you rate your pain out of 10 for me? With zero meaning you have no pain, and 10 being the worst pain imaginable. As you can imagine, this is often hard to do. Where's the baseline? How do I know what the worst pain imaginable is? And what if I don't know what no pain feels like? Eula Biss is an American author of four books. In 2005, she wrote an essay titled The Pain Scale about her own experience with chronic pain. Here, she reads excerpts from that essay. I'm sitting in the exam room of a hospital, entertaining the idea that absolutely no pain is not possible. If no pain is possible, then another question, is no pain desirable? Does the absence of pain equal the absence of everything? Some very complicated mathematical problems cannot be solved without the concept of zero, but zero makes some very simple problems impossible to solve. For example, the value of zero divided by zero is unknown. I'm not a mathematician. I'm sitting in a hospital trying to measure my pain on a scale from zero to ten. For this purpose, I need a zero, a scale of any sort needs fixed points. The deepest circle of Dante's Inferno does not burn, it's frozen. In his last glimpse of hell, Dante looks back and sees Satan upside down through the ice. At night, I ice my pain. My mind descends into a strange sinking calm. Any number multiplied by zero is zero, and so with ice and me. I'm nullified. I wake up to melted ice in the warm throb of my pain returning. One. My father is a physician. He treats patients with cancer who often suffer extreme pain. My father raised me to believe that most pain is minor. He was never impressed by my bleeding cuts or even my weeping sores. In retrospect, neither am I. Every time I go to the doctor and every time I visit the physical therapist, I'm asked to rate my pain on a scale from zero to ten. This practice of quantifying pain was introduced by the hospice movement of the 1970s with the goal of providing better care for patients who didn't respond to curative treatment. My father once told me that an itch is just very mild pain. Both sensations simply signal, he told me, irritated or damaged tissue. But a nasty itch, I observed, can be much more excruciating than a paper cut, which is also mild pain. Digging at an itch until it bleeds and is transformed into pure pain can bring a kind of relief. 
Where does pain worth measuring begin? With poison ivy, with a hangnail, with a stubbed toe, a sore throat, a needle prick, a razor cut. Hospice nurses are trained to identify five types of pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, social, and financial. The pain of feeling, the pain of caring, the pain of doubting, the pain of parting, the pain of paying. Overlooking the pain of longing, the pain of desire, the pain of sore muscles, which I find pleasurable, the pain of learning, and the pain of reading, the pain of trying, the pain of living, a minor pain or a major pain. There's mathematical proof that zero equals one, which of course it doesn't. Two. Although the distance between one and two is finite, it contains infinite fractions. This could also be said of the distance between my mind and my body, my one and my two, my whole and its parts. The sensations of my own body may be the only subject on which I'm qualified to claim expertise. Sad and terrible, then, how little I know. How do you feel? The doctor asks, and I can't answer. Not accurately. Does this hurt? He asks. Again, I'm not sure. Do you have more or less pain than the last time I saw you? Hard to say. I begin to lie to protect my reputation. I try to act certain. Three. Left alone in the exam room, I stare at the pain scale, a simple number line complicated by only two phrases. Under zero, no pain. Under ten, the worst pain imaginable. The worst pain imaginable. Stabbed in the eye with a spoon, whipped with nettles, buried under an avalanche of sharp rocks, impaled with hundreds of nails, dragged over gravel behind a fast truck, skinned alive. Like the advanced math of my distant past, determining the intensity of my own pain is a blind calculation. On my first attempt, I assigned the value of 10 to a theoretical experience, burning alive. Then I tried to determine what percentage of the pain of burning alive I was feeling. I chose 30%, three, which seemed at the time quite substantial. Three, mail remains unopened. Thoughts are rarely followed to their conclusions. Sitting becomes unbearable after one hour. Nausea sets in. Grasping at the pain doesn't bring relief. Quiet desperation descends. Three is nothing, my father tells me now. Three is go home and take two aspirin. It would be helpful, I tell him, if that could be noted on the scale. The reality that my nerves alone feel my pain is terrifying. I hate the knowledge that I'm isolated in this skin alone with my pain and my own fallibility. Pain is a landscape with pockets of beauty and intensity. 
There are dangerous fires that draw you in close and scold you. There are icy channels that penetrate the marrow of your bones. The sensations radiate from within you, making you bristle against the outside world. Its surfaces and sounds are too harsh when they bump up against the coldness of your body. You feel like you're fragile and fierce at the same time. A deadly stalactite ready to drop and shatter. You feel agitated by those around you because they don't understand this complexity. They don't understand how restless and uncomfortable your body feels and they'd prefer it if you didn't talk about it. They don't want you to sit there complaining about the sensations within you. They don't know the words to describe what you're feeling and you can't let them in. Eugenie Lee is a Korean-born, Sydney-based interdisciplinary artist with a conceptual focus on her lived experience with persistent pain. Her work is based on the biopsychosocial model of pain. This looks at the interconnection between biology, psychology and socio-environmental factors and examines how these aspects play a role in health and disease and human development. Basically, how all these things influence how we experience pain and the world. I live with persistent pelvic pain along with other autoimmune diseases and other comorbidity that came through the pelvic pain experience. So my pelvic pain experience actually started when I began my period. So maybe around when I was 12 or 13 years old and it gradually got worse as I got older. And around when I started my unis and also before then, it became just so debilitating that it was almost impossible for me to function as a normal person. And it was just so isolating and Back then, a lot of clinicians didn't really know a lot of my condition either. It was such a lonely experience and it almost helped me in a way, like almost like a therapeutic way for me to be able to express my pain experience through my paintings and drawings. And it was really helpful because I found pain experience so difficult to talk about through verbal language to other people. And they were asking me, so what's wrong with you? And, and why are you experiencing all these things? And why are you saying no to you know all the invitations and social events and all this? And But you look perfectly fine. And I just didn't know how to answer that. When we spoke earlier, you mentioned a striking image, like a repetitive thought you had about visualising your pain and not knowing if it was rational or irrational. Um, During the worst moments of the pain experience in my life, I would just sit on my bed and roll back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I actually kept thinking that if I could just go to the kitchen right now and just cut open my stomach and pull out whatever is causing so much pain, surely I would see some monster sitting in there causing all this pain and I would see it. It's a thing. It's living in there. I actually did a painting and 
I actually wanted to cut off my own stomach through my paintings and hopefully that would make the pain go away. If I couldn't do it in real life, maybe if, if I actually did it on painting, surely that would be a catharsis experience that would definitely put my um, pain away from me. It, to me, it's such a difficult painting for me to think about and even talking about it is very difficult. Even now, even though I've done that painting many years ago, you live your life for so long without having much control over your life and over your body and over your emotion. It is such an important concept, that control. And it's a recurring theme whenever you talk to other people who live with pain. And getting some form of control back in any way that brings some of the pain experience down for some reason. Eugenie collaborates with pain scientists and researchers who investigate the ways in which technologies assist in pain research. She makes highly ambitious artwork that attempts to communicate the experience of pain to those who don't live with it. Her latest work is called Breakout, My Pelvic Sorcery. Talking about pelvic pain in general sort of social setting is so taboo and stigmatised. So I wanted to make it funky, sexy and, you know, fun. I just wanted to break that stigma because automatically people think, oh, you got pelvic pain, what's wrong with your vagina or what's wrong with your penis? But the pelvic region is so complex and surrounded by layers and layers and layers of muscle organs and nerve endings. So I teamed up with pain researchers, Dr. Susan Evans. She is a pelvic pain specialist and she's a pelvic pain researcher and a founder of Pelvic Pain Foundation of Australia. And Emeritus Professor Raleigh Sussex, he is a linguist who specialises in pelvic pain expression from University of Queensland. And Dr. Claire Ashton James, she is an empathy expert and clinical psychologist from University of Sydney. These researchers sent out a survey specifically targeting women with pelvic pain asking them what their pelvic pain feels like. And these women expressed their pain in a most beautiful and agonising, poignant way to describe their daily lives with this pelvic pain. And it was just really heartbreaking, actually. From here, Eugenie selected the most commonly used words to describe their pain and set about trying to replicate these sensations using a TENS machine with the help of mechatronics engineer Pete DeJersey. For those of you who aren't familiar with a TENS machine, it stands for Transcutaneous Electral Nerve Stimulation and is a method of pain relief involving a mild electrical current that's administered to the body via some sticky pads. You might have seen them used to treat joint pain, assist with labour or treat arthritis. We've hacked it and turned it into pain-inducing machine. 
and it it actually gives a really gentle tingling sensation and if you actually up the doses a little bit then it becomes quite an intense like muscle clamping kind of buzzy sort of experience we've safely created this painful discomforting experience and then after that i sort of worked on this virtual reality components to create a little game the idea is is from arcade game called breakout and basically what you do is hit the ball against the wall and that's all you just keep hitting the ball against the wall it's so simple and it bounces back and you keep hitting you miss it comes again the idea is that a lot of women have expressed that pain itself they could somehow live with but what they actually found really difficult is they found it just really difficult to do day to day everyday things play with their children be a good partner or being able to work or even just read newspaper or just do simplest little thing it becomes very difficult for them so i wanted to focus on that idea because a lot of people don't understand when you live with pain a lot of simple things can be such an olympian you know gold medal standard effort it's very very difficult and i wanted to bring that idea across to people who don't experience pain and i also wanted to challenge can you do it if you experience something like this can you do something simple as playing a ball just having fun can you even have fun for the experiment you enter a private room where eugenie attaches four sticky pads to your skin they're about half the size of your palm and attach very closely to your pelvic bones Two on the front, lower than your belly button, and then two behind them on the sacrum area. It felt sort of uh, nibbling on the surface of the skin. Um, I could sort of, you know, push to the side, but when it sort of felt like it was coming from inside, that's when it became um, really quite distracting. Eugenie measures the safety threshold for each participant before commencing and monitors them throughout. It's doing little bitey things now instead of, ow, ow, now it's doing big bitey things. <laughs> you put on some virtual reality goggles and for around 10 minutes, try and hit a ball against a wall. I've had pelvic pain before in my life, of course, menstrual cramps and stuff, but I never had pain in the back before. All while experiencing the common sensations that people with persistent pelvic pain provided on the original survey. So the back pain was new to me and, and that felt far worse, like I, I didn't really know what to do. I wanted to ask you, through doing these works about pain, do you think that your relationship with your own pain has changed or is it has it remained the same? Oh, it's very different now. I mean, you know, when I told you about that painting that I wanted to stab my own stomach and pull out what was in there and, you know, I mean, I understand now that was just completely irrational thought. And I also acknowledge that it would have definitely felt like a rational thing to do back then. And I completely acknowledge that. Now I view pain as a friendly reminder, 
if I could say it in a very cautious way, because I understand now by understanding neuroscience that pain is there to protect you from the perception of danger, whether it's real or just a perceived, it doesn't really matter. Your brain does not differentiate real from perceived. And I also acknowledge that all pain is real and it's all subjective and personal. It's your brain there just wanting to protect you as best way it can possibly do. Broadwave. Broadwave? Broadwave. 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 That story was produced by Georgia Mill, Michelle Macklem and Beth Atkinson Quinton. The producers would like to acknowledge that this story is not a substitute for medical advice. If this episode has brought up issues for you, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. You can find out more about A Fluorescent Feeling at broadwavepods.com. And keep an eye out for part two and three of the series on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You've been listening to All the Best. I'm Helena Baroni Peters. At All the Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past present and future. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Emma Pham is our social media producer and our community and events coordinator is Lydia Yosefova. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. Thanks for listening.